Good evening. I'm uh, Pastor Eric Corbett, filling in for Pastor Rick this evening. And we have a topical. And if you would, we're going to uh, be looking at the letter of 1 John. And our text for this evening will be 1 John chapter 4 and verses 7 through 11. And so I will go ahead and read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so uh, the focus of, of this passage that I really want to kind of highlight tonight is just the simple words, three words, God is love. And that is true. God indeed is love. And um, so first, what is love? You know, we need, we're going to talk about love. So what is it? Uh, love is, is a feeling. Uh, uh, is it an act? Well, yes. It can be a bit of both. And we live in a world where the word love is not absent. We hear the word love used all the time. We use it a lot. Um, and uh, it's part of our language and our speech. It's part of our vernacular. And we hear people talk about it, again, all the time. But there are obviously different meanings uh, for the word love. You can hear somebody talk about how much they love things that have different levels of importance and all in the same breath. You know, the, the, the grandma that says, you know, you know, Sonny, I really, really love you. And I, you know, I really, really love a really, really, really love a slice of cheesecake. You know, they're, they're two different things. You're not going to, you know, she obviously, hopefully doesn't love cheesecake more than she loves her, her, her grandchildren uh, or family. But, you know, that's how we use the word love. And, um, you know, so, so there's sometimes a need to, to kind of fill out what that means and not just, just using the word, what's behind the word. And so there are things that are called love that really aren't and um, because they're contrary to the nature of love. And we hear a lot of that today in, in our day, in our society. And so we can have natural affections for things and um, for people, but truly God is what defines love. The Bible says that God is love, and he is the standard. He is what um, is the embodiment of love. And so uh, John has written this letter, and he's written it to the church uh, in Ephesus. And, and, and at that time, there were, uh, there's a false teaching. The Gnostics were there, and they believed that there's, uh, you know, the things that happen because you're, you're born again of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit and the flesh are separate, so it doesn't really matter what you do with the flesh. And so it corrupted the idea and the thought of love. And so John really hits this uh, throughout his letter. Uh, his letters, but but really here we we hear love just is just spoken of and comes off the pages uh, throughout the entire letter because he's addressing this and and wants to emphasize to the believers that that love is important. What you what you think about it, how you how you conduct love, uh, what it is, what it looks like, what it doesn't look like is very important. So in verse seven, he he starts off in our, in our passage tonight. He says, "Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God." So this 
love that he's speaking of, it applies to the believer. And this love that he's speaking of is the, is the love of God. It's God's love, not just an ordinary love, not, you know, like you love cheesecake or, or love something else uh, on another level. This, this is a, a higher love. And so love in the New Testament, we find that word love is, is translated um, uh, from the original text from, from four different words. And I'll just kind of briefly touch on them. We probably have heard them before uh, as we study the word. Uh, there's the word storge, which is, is in the original Greek language. It's an affectionate love. It's a, a love like, uh, like a, fam- a familial love, like, like the love that the parents have for children. There's phileo, which is a brotherly love. It's, it's a love that, that individuals, not necessarily family, can have for one another. We get our word Philadelphia, uh, the city of brotherly love, which <laughs> probably doesn't live up to that name these days. Um, there's eros, which is a romantic love. It's the kind of love that you have between a, a husband and a wife. And then there's agape. And that agape love is that highest form of love. It's the, it's the love that describes God's love. And it's a self-sacrificing, um, non-self-serving type of love. It is a giving love that is that is that is really all about um, giving and not necessarily looking for anything in return. It describes the love that's like no other love that we have that exists. And so that's what John is talking about. When he's saying, let us love one another for this love that we have for one another, it's of God. And uh, everyone who loves this kind of love is born of God uh, and knows God. You're not going to find this kind of love um, necessarily out on a street corner or, you know, in the gambling hall. Um, you know, I mean, of course, you can have people that, that know Christ and, and, and have this love. But, but there's, there's places where this love is just not going to show up. Um, but where the people of God are, where those who know God are, this love should always be present. Should always find if you go to a church. I mean, of course, we have it in this church. But if you go somewhere and you don't sense the love of Christ, then probably a whole lot of other things that aren't there, and you you might want to look about not sticking around too long. So uh, again, this is this is a higher love. It goes beyond natural means, and so John says, "Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God." And then he goes on in verse eight, and he says, "He who does not love." Uh, does not know God, for God is love. And so the world doesn't know this love because the world doesn't know God. The world, by definition, we're not talking necessarily about the people, but the world system and how it operates, what it's after, you know, the things that uh, it promotes, they're, they're not godly things. And so that's completely separate and separated from, from God and from his love. Now, the world can know and experience other types of love. You know, again, there's this natural love that, that we see all, all around. You know, people can, can care for one another um, a, apart from God to a point. Um, they can do things for one another. They can um, express love in different levels. They can, they can love the in, environment a little too much um, in many ways. But, but the people of the world, again, they can't know this love of God unless they truly know him. Now, they think they know love, and that's why we hear them talk about it all the time. But what's often called love truly is not love. When we look in the comparison in terms of the the, the love of God and what they're labeling as love, it's not. Many times what's called love by the world is lust. 
Now, uh, the word lust can be defined as a strong craving or desire. Uh, it's often sexual uh, in context, but not always. Uh, you can lust for things that are, that are not sexual. But lust, really what it does is it takes a good thing and can corrupt it. It corrupts it. So um, you can have, you know, relationships that are corrupted because there's this, this, this personal uh, intense selfish desire of someone wanting to be satisfied that doesn't care about the consequences or, or the, the other individuals or, or, or who it impacts. And so lust says, I really, really, really want this and I want it now. And I don't care who's in the way. I don't care what I have to do to get it. This is what I want. This is how I want it. And this is what I want now. And it's self-serving. Uh, it's very selfish. And again, it doesn't care about any consequences. Lust is often driven by out of control emotion. And as believers, we're not supposed to live like that. You know, we have the Holy Spirit and and one of the fruits of the spirit, of course, is self-control. But lust blows all out of of the the water and says, uh, I I don't care. I'm going to go by my feelings. Uh, Lust is lowly. It's 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 low uh, and, it, and it's contrary to what the nature of love is. And so the person that's overtaken by lust, um, they, they're not in control. And, and the lust is what's what's uh, guiding and controlling their desires and what they want to do and their actions. Um, but there is a love that is greater than that. There's a love that is higher than that. Uh, again, w- today in our, in our society, we have those that are claiming to love one another, and they're in relationships that we know are clearly, not only clearly against what the Scripture has to say, but they're against what naturally is, is set in place. And they're calling it love, and they, they have a right to have this, this love. And really what, again, it, it, it is, 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 is lust. And so they don't understand that these things have consequences. Uh, the Bible tells us that there are consequences, but they don't trust that. They don't, they don't understand that. They don't want to hear it. And they just want to have what they want to have, and, and they don't want us to not advocate for that. And so what they're missing is is out of and the true reality of what love is and what God has for them. And um, so, the, again, they're overtaken by this lower form, which is not truly love. And there's one that is greater. And so God says, you know, repent from that, turn from that, because there's much more that you can have. And uh, you don't have to be um, uh, held in slavery by that, because that's what it is. So love even in its uh, other forms, can still be imperfect. You can still have good love, love of family, um, love of, of friends and things like that, but it's, it's, it's imperfect. It only goes but so far. It only goes for this life, truly. Um, and so, again, this love that is natural, you can have a natural affinity and affection for someone. You can care about them, but it only goes but so far. But a lot of times, that love is, the motives are wrong. It's, it's, it's motivated by self. And what do I mean by that? Um, it's, it's a love that has strings attached. And it's not necessarily harmful or intended to be that way. But it's, it's a love that says, you know, I'm going to do this for you, you know, because I want this in return. And sometimes it can be something as simple as, you know, just, just getting the satisfaction back that I've done something good for you. Uh, you know, that's, there's the saying, you know, pay it forward that we 
have running rampant nowadays. And the idea is, is that you do something nice for somebody else, not purely out of the goodness of your heart, but you're looking for the satisfaction of knowing, okay, I've done this nice thing for this person, and I just want you to pay it forward. I don't need any money for it. I don't need you to return it back to me. Just pay it forward. And it sounds so simple and so innocuous, but really what's behind it is, is the individual saying, I know now that I've done this nice thing for this other person, and now I've set off a chain reaction. And because of this one act that I've done, there are now tens and dozens and hundreds and thousands of good acts that are taking place because of my one good act. And it's, and it's really self-serving. It's not, it's not really truly motivated. And that's, I mean, I wanna, don't want to judge every instance. But, but in essence, it's, it's, it's got something else that's attached to it. And, um, you know, this can be a rope or it can be a thread, um, but it has strings attached. And um, it's again, it's based on the person putting forth uh, love or 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 something to get something in return. And um, sometimes it can be very subtle. Um, you know, the essence. You know, the the thought is, I love you as long as you do this for me. Or sometimes it can take the the thought of, I'm going to love you and do this because again, it makes me feel good because I've I've started something that is going to continue on. So the world doesn't know. Um, that these things, these forms of love, are are not as high as 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 the love that can be had is. The love of God is it's much greater. Um, the world oftentimes will will look at what's uh, put forth by the righteousness of of truth and of of believers, and they'll call it hate, because love. Out of the nature of, of wanting to care and not necessarily wanting anything back, love is going to correct that which is wrong. And so, uh, you know, Christians will share what the Bible has to say about behaviors that are wrong with people who are, are trapped and wrapped in them. And then we're called, you know, uh, you know, wicked and not wicked, but, you know, they say that we're hate. You know, we're, we're spewing hate because they don't understand what true love is. The Apostle Paul says this to some believers in the, in the region of Galatia, in this church, that um, he was out of love. He was addressing things that were wrong in this church. And because he loved them and he saw where this was going, he's going to speak up about it. And so he speaks up about these things and he addresses them. And then, and then he gets some flack back. And he says this in Galatians 4, verse 16. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Is, is now because you are hearing something from me that you don't like and you claim to not agree with, but yet there's nothing wrong or nothing malicious about it. In, in fact, I'm motivated out of love to share this with you. Now, because I'm sharing this with you, now all of a sudden we can't be friends. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you don't want to talk to me about this anymore. I mean, we see this. This is what happens with conviction of the heart that's, that's in the wrong place and convicted of sin. This can oftentimes be the response. And so the world responds to the love of believers in sharing the truth of Scripture and God's word with them. And, and, and in fact, frankly, just, just by holding these truths, standing for righteousness, holding these positions, they say that we, you know, we spew hatred. And it's because um, the truth hurts, as the saying goes, but you add to that. The truth hurts when you're standing on the wrong side of it. You know, if you have somebody that 
is going to reject truth. They're going to open themselves up to believe pretty much almost anything. And we see that happening now. You know, the, the crazy, just insane things that people are believing um, that are obviously not true because they hate the truth. Um, because they don't side with it. They don't like it. They want to change it. And you can't change truth. Otherwise, it's not truth. If, you know, you decide that a brick wall is not a solid brick wall, but it's made out of cotton candy and you don't like that brick wall and you're going to run up against it and try to knock it down, well, guess what? The truth of the reality of that being a brick wall and not made out of cotton or cotton candy is going to hurt you. And that's what I think um, happens to those who resist truth and they, and they get so angry and the vitriol because they are resisting the truth that they want to change, but they can't. And so they, uh, we then become those who are, are those uh, who are, are the enemies and, and spew hate. So, but that's not love. So what does love look like? Well, in verses 9 and 10 of 1 John chapter 4, this is what John writes. He says, in this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or the, the propitiation is the substitution for our sins. So the love of God, as we have it stated here, is, is not like anything else in this world. There's no one else who has died for the sake of the world or even could die for the sake of the world. And because God, in his love, loved the sinner and the sinful world so much that he provided the solution because he's the only one that could. And so uh, this love of God is completely contrary to what the world calls love. And it goes uh, so much beyond all the other forms of love that we see and can experience. Again, there's no one that can love like God and there's no one that loved like Jesus. There's no one that was able to, again, do what he did and would be willing to do what he did. He didn't deserve to die. He didn't have to die, but he willingly chose to do that out of love. And so John tells us that uh, this love uh, looks like this. Romans chapter 5, verses six, uh, 6 through 8 says this. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul writing this says here, you know, that, that God didn't wait for us to get good. He didn't wait for us to get cleaned up. He went ahead and took the step because that's what love does. Love doesn't wait. Love says, I'm going to go ahead and extend um, because I love you. you. I'm setting my love upon you and I'm going to do this for you that you can't do for yourself. And, um, and so God has demonstrated his love for the world and for us and, and what that love looks like on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is the very embodiment of love. He is what love looks like. If you want to know what love looks like, then get a good hard look at Jesus Christ because he is what all that love is, is, is encompassed in him. And that's God's love, not the love of the world. It's, it's a love that again is much higher. And the 
letter of of 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, the Apostle Paul gives us a description of the characteristics of God's love. And and oftentimes it's called the love chapter. But in verses 4 through 7, we read this. Paul writing about this, this love of God. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then in the first part of verse eight, he says, love never fails. And so here we have a a very descriptive illustration of of the characteristics and the nature of this, this love of God. And you can easily replace the word love in these verses with the name Jesus. And it fits perfectly. And so you can't do that with anyone or anything else because Jesus is the only one that fits the bill here because he is God. And again, God is love. And so if we want to know what what love is, um, we have to look at Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is, is God's love to the world. And if the world ever needed love, it is now because um, this world, as, as John writes, um, is, is passing away. Um, and the world is not just dying, you know, and the passing away. It's rotting while it's dying. I mean, we can see the rot and the decay happening at a, a seemingly more rapid pace as it just seems like it's getting crazier. But the love of God through Jesus Christ is the remedy. It's the only remedy, but it is the, it is the perfect one that is fitted to, to, to stop this decay from happening in individual lives. Again, the world is going to go the way that the scripture tells us it's going to go. It's going to get a lot worse <laughs> than what it is now. And, um, but in, even in the midst of that, God's love is still working. And so uh, if, if you would, we'll turn briefly to uh, Luke chapter 22. And take a look at an example of how uh, the Lord and his love reaches out to the unbeliever in, in this selfless love that is, that is God's love, this higher love. And in Luke chapter 22, and we'll, we'll start in verse 47. And, and what's going on here, of course, is this is uh, Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be arrested and put on this, this false trial. And uh, we'll pick it up in verse 47, Luke twenty-two, forty-seven. And while he, speaking of Jesus, was still speaking, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. So, you know, those of us who are familiar with the, the story, this, this, this account is given in all four of the Gospels. And we get little details, some greater details in some of the, the Gospels than others. And um, Jesus is being betrayed by Judas and is about to be arrested. And one of his disciples, as they realize what's happening, uh, they respond by trying to defend Jesus by pulling out a sword and attacking the opposition. And again, this is recorded in all the Gospels, but John is the only one who uh, records the names. And he gives us the name. He, he's, he throws under the bus the sword swinger. And, and um, that, that 
person, I, I give you get three guesses of who it is. Peter. <laughs> Peter, of course, is the one. That's right. Who pulls out the sword because Peter just, I mean, thank God for Peter and just just the things that he shows us, the lessons that we can learn from this man, even his mistakes. And this is a big one. And um, so John tells us the the name of the the, uh, disciple that pulls the sword, but he also gives us the name of the servant. John is the only one who mentions the name of the servant of the high priest, and that servant's name was Malchus. And so we already know a lot about Peter. And uh, we'll get back to him in a minute. But but let's take a, a look at this man, Malchus. So some of the things that we can kind of kind of glean from 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 this is that, you know, he was the servant of the high priest, which, um, you know, in some of the, the reference materials, they call him not a servant, but a slave. So that's that's kind of important to note. And we'll, we'll get back to that also. So he obviously had some level of authority. He was with the uh, he was the servant of the high priest. He was sent with the troops out to go and arrest Jesus Christ. Um, he was uh, the representative of the religious Jews. They weren't they wouldn't be caught near this scene because uh, they were just too too proud and pompous for all of that. So they send Malchus as representative of the of the religious Jews, and um, so he had some authority. Um, and, and indicated on his attitude, the fact that he had some authority that he was up front with the party, uh, as they're coming to arrest Jesus. Um, he's right there again, as a representative of, of the religious Jews, he, he very likely, well, it's possible that he was a religious person, uh, of course, involved in much of what was going on with the uh, religious Jewish practice and given his position and his exposure to the Jewish faith. Uh, customs and practices, he likely possibly was was a religious person. He very likely had heard a lot about Jesus Christ um, by this time. Uh, Jesus had been on his earthly ministry. He had engaged the religious Jews quite often, uh, putting them to task. Um, But what were the things that he heard about Jesus Christ? What were some of the things that he heard and, and what did he believe about Jesus? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, but the fact that he was he was siding with the religious Jews and they were coming to arrest Jesus Christ to put him on trial because they wanted to kill him possibly gives an indication of, of where he stood and, and he stood physically in opposition to Jesus Christ. He had likely heard a lot of things about Jesus that were inaccurate or just flat out not true from those who hated him. And, um, so we don't really know what Malchus thought, but it's possible that he he thought wrong things about Jesus Christ. Malchus may have believed that coming to arrest Jesus to silence him was the right thing to do. And after all, you know, you know, all of the things that he had heard, you know, from the, the high priest and the others there, you know, and, and, and this Jesus Christ talking about he's going to he's going to uh, uh, tear down the temple and raise it up again in three days. Who does this Jesus think he is? So, you know, maybe he was thinking this is the right thing to do. We need to get rid of this guy. I'm all for it. Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go and I'll stand up front and yeah, I'll, I'll take this this one that's that followed him that is betraying him and and we'll, we'll get it all done. So Malchus is standing in opposition to Jesus Christ. But then all of a sudden, as they're getting ready to arrest him, one of his followers takes out a sword and cuts off his ear. (laughs) He didn't see that one coming. And, you know, well, we don't know. Maybe he did see it coming and he ducked. 
but we don't know if he ducked or if Peter was just a bad shot. But uh, obviously, Peter was trying to do much more harm to him than just cutting off his ear, because uh, that's not going to really stop anything. And and again, the Bible doesn't give us the details of this. But if Malchus had, you know, even though he's there with the religious leaders and he's in opposition to Jesus Christ, maybe even advocating for him to be silenced, maybe there was some curiosity that he even still had about Jesus. And he wasn't exactly sure what to think about him prior to this event, prior to coming to arrest him. Well, what do you think he thought about Jesus now after one of his disciples cuts off his ear? Do you think that there's any space in Malchus's thought for maybe this Jesus is not wrong? Maybe he's an okay person? No, all of that probably went out the door or went off with the ear um, when that was gone. So he, do you think that Malchus is interested in hearing anything about Jesus or anything that Jesus has to say? I doubt it. Any willingness that he had to listen to Jesus Christ is now gone. So you see, I think, I think that there's a lot of people like this man Malchus that exist today. They're in this world and they're fully given over to it, whether they know it or not. Many of them are religious, and that's whether they follow an organized religion um, or some ideology. You know, the LGBTQ and that whole community and diversity and inclusion, you know, the whole wokeness thing, which is grammatically incorrect, by the way. Um, all of that stuff, it's, it's, it's deep. It's spiritual. And so these people who are taken over by this stuff, it's like a religion. They worship this stuff. And that's why they take such offense to you telling them that, that it's wrong because you are now offending their God. And so just like Malchus, who's probably a religious person, there are people today that are like him that are very religious, but they're very religiously wrong. They have the wrong idea about what God approves of. And they're slaves. Just like Malchus was a servant, but again, there's some indications that they that, that use the word he was a slave. So it means possibly he was serving the high priest against his will to some degree. These people who are caught up in these false ideas about what is right and what is good, they're, they're in slavery. They're in slavery, and they don't even know it. And they're going around, and they're, they're touting all of this stuff, and you got to side with them. And they are in deep bondage and don't have any idea that they are, the, they are Satan's tools and, and being used by him to get his agenda done. And at the end of it all, what do they get? Nothing. They get nothing. And so they are looking for truth and love. And just as Malchus was standing in opposition against Jesus Christ, they are standing in opposition against truth and love. The truth and love that they are probably searching for, that they think they're going to find in these other things, they're, they're standing against it, and they don't even know it. And so they've heard and believed a lot of things about Jesus that aren't true, just like Malchus. You know, if you were to ask somebody, you know, you know, that's, you know, in, in, in a, you know, one of these ideologies, perverted relationship or what have you, and you ask them about Jesus Christ, they probably tell you all sorts of things that aren't true. Uh, and, you know, you know, they've, they've been told the devil's lies and they believe them instead of believing the truth of Scripture. 
And, and we, we know, we've, we've heard some of the arguments, maybe even personally engaging somebody, but, you know, Satan, I'm convinced he has a playbook of lies, and he rattles them off, and these people, they swallow them hook, line, and sink, and that's why you can hear them, they can regurgitate the same exact things. If God was a God of love, why would he, and that, 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 there they go. You know, it's, it's the same lies that Satan has told others, and they have taken these on, and they've believed them. And they believe these things about Jesus Christ that are not true. They don't know who he is. And so, therefore, they don't know his love. And so they're still left searching. Um, and, um, but, unfortunately, there are those who have done much damage to the gospel of Jesus Christ and have gone around lopping off ears of those who stand against Christ, just like Peter's doing here. And I'm not trying to bash Peter, but, but here we have the example set before us of, of a picture of what it can look like for uh, a believer, uh, a righteous person, one who loves Christ, but because they're, they're misguided, because they've, they've succumbed to their emotions, because they're not willing to yield to the Holy Spirit, and they're going out and doing what they think is right in the moment, um, they, have, they have made it so that those who have not heard the voice of Jesus Christ can have even less of a chance of hearing the voice of Jesus Christ. And as a result, going off and lopping off Malchus's ear, he couldn't hear the voice of Jesus Christ, at least not clearly. And that message has been muddled by many who name the name of Christ to those who need the message of Christ. And that should not be. And so Peter, I think Peter, some of what could have been going on is that, you know, just just hours before, just a short time before this moment, they're all sitting around in the, in the upper room and they're, they're, they're sharing the Passover. And Jesus is, is giving them final instructions before he's about to go to the cross. And, and you know, Peter, I mean, and, and the Lord says, one of you is going to deny me. <laughs> and, of course, our boy Peter he jumps up and he says, well, Lord, I'll never deny you. Even if all of the rest of these deny you, I'll never deny you. And what does Jesus tell Peter? Probably with a little, you know, hurt in his heart because he knew it was happening and he knew it was going to hurt Peter. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before this night is over. And I think Peter could still have been stinging from that and thinking about it. What's the Lord talking about? He knows I love him. I would never do such a thing. I can't even imagine doing something like that. And so then they get to the garden, and then here are all these people coming to arrest Jesus Christ. He realizes what's happening. One of the others, probably not Peter, says, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Because earlier they had, you know, the Lord given instructions, and, you know, he gave advice. He didn't tell them to take a sword. But, Lord, we have two, here we have two swords. And the Lord said it is enough. Because it gives no glory to God for the righteous to uh, allow the wicked to just destroy them without any defense. And uh, so there it is. Um, but Peter, I think, is still stinging from that. So he sees what's getting ready to happen. And to defend his, his position of love and to prove himself that he loves the Lord before him, he whips out his sword and he tries to defend the Lord. And, and it's, it's misguided. Um, he was in the heat of the moment. Um, you know, but Peter had already been rebuked by the Lord some time ago by his resistance of the notion of Jesus going to the cross and being crucified. 
This has already been settled once. Because when the Lord began to tell, you know, the disciples in, in Matthew 16 that he was going to go to the cross, and Peter pulls him, Lord, come here, come here, come on. Lord, you can't do that. I mean, you're, you're the Lord. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the King of Israel. And, of course, we know the story. What does Jesus do? Get behind me, Satan. Because, because Peter was motivated. He didn't know it at the time. By, by Satan, but he was he was he was responding in a way that wasn't wasn't of the spirit. It was of the flesh. It was reactionary. Well, he's doing the same thing here over the same issue because it had already been settled. Jesus is going to the cross. That's a that's not going to change. And Peter steps forward to to intervene. And so Peter wasn't listening to the Lord. He was off doing what he felt he needed to do in the moment. He let his emotions get the best of him, and he reacted based on his feelings, and it ended up making up a bit of a mess. And, and, and we can do the same thing. We can let our emotions get the best of us, and we can react, and, and we can mess things up. And so there have been, and there still are, those who do this type of thing in Christ's name. And as a result, they go off and do whatever they feel like, and, um, and they don't yield to the words of Christ and, and the Holy Spirit. And, and they have left the trail of Malchus's with, with maimed ears in their wake. And they're out there because of Christian behavior like this. And there are people who, who maybe have come to church or have been around Christians, and they want to have anything to do with it. And then they hear, you know, this whisper of the, of the devil through something that, that seems appealing to them, and they go trailing off to that. And um, this, is not, this is not love. And, and that's, not, that's not where the, the love of God is to, is to, is to rest. He can go higher. And, and, you know, so, again, when sharing Jesus with those who don't know him, we have to give them the truth. I'm not saying that, that we are to somehow curtail the message and to make it um, more palatable to them in the sense of changing the message. The message is what it is, and it's not to change. And that's a non-negotiable for us. But we have to be led by the Lord. We have, to, we have to be mindful of the Holy Spirit and not just our emotions and what we feel like we need to do or what we need to say when we're around them. Because, again, there's a good chance it's going to be wrong. It's not going to be the way that the Lord is ministering to them. You know, if, if, if God is ministering to the heart of someone and he's already moving on that heart, there's really very little effort that you have to put into saying something. Because God's already working there. But if God's not working there, and you try to go in there and try to, you know, yes, I'm going to give them the gospel, and they're going to get saved today. I'm going to read them the four points. It's, you, you, can, you can lay it all out before them. You can point out their sin before them. You can draw pictures. You can show them videos. If the Holy Spirit is not working in their heart, nothing's going to happen. And so that's why it's so important for us as believers to yield to the Lord, to trust him. As, as he loves us and as we know that love, as we know the power of that love personally in our experience, and we know what it means for those who, who, who don't yet have it, then we need to trust him because guess what? The bottom line is God loves the sinner way more than we ever could. All of our love balled together, mixed up and multiplied will not come close to the love that God has for them. And so God's desire is to, is to save them, that they would repent and that they would come to him as well. So we can't get ahead of that. And so 
We have to, again, the, the, the lesson and the point I'm making here is that we have to trust God. We have to, we have to trust what he's laid out in Scripture. We have to trust his guiding and his leading um, because although we may really desire and want to see people saved, and I believe anybody who is a believer who has experienced the love of Christ wants that, we still are subject to the dictates of the king and his love because it's his love. It's not our love. This love goes far deeper than anything we could ever muster. And uh, so we have to we have to step out of the way and just and just follow his, you know, his leading, and his guiding. So, um, uh, again, I, I think many uh, Christians, they don't trust the, the Holy Spirit and they go off doing their own thing. And, and I think a lot of times the motivation for them to, to go forward and to minister in this way is, again, kind of like Peter, feeling like he needed to prove his love to Jesus. There are Christians who feel like they need to, to prove their devotion to the Lord. I got to go out and I got to preach the gospel today. You know, if I don't do that, then, you know, somehow I'm missing something that God wants from me. Well, again, it doesn't work like that. You know, Jesus loves us. You know, he's, he's demonstrated that to us, and, and we've received that love. And if you belong to him, then he already loves you. And there's nothing that you need to do to prove that, that love that you have for him, uh, just, uh, other than just, just simple faith and obedience. That's your proof of your love to him. You don't have to prove your love to the Lord. Uh, he knows. The, the Bible says, you know, you know Paul writing to Timothy, he says, the, the, uh, I'm trying to recall it from memory, but the, the seal of the Lord is sure. The Lord knows those who are his. It's no, no mystery to him. He knows if you love him or not. And so you don't have to try to, to work to prove that for him because you can't make him love you any more than he already does. John fourteen twenty one says this about the love of Christ for those who love him. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So if you love the Lord, then you want to obey him. You want to, you want to follow what uh, he's laid out for us. We, we seek to please him. But that's not a, a lot of work of effort on our part. We just have to trust him and, and trust that his love for us is, is sure. And so I think Peter lost sight of this in this, this time in the garden when he swung his sword, when he didn't need to. But Jesus is still able to remedy the mistakes of, of his children and reach those who are standing in opposition to him. And he's done this with this man, Malchus. Uh, Jesus, as love incarnate, reaches out to touch the hurting and the confused Malchus. Because right, right now, his ear's gone, he's bleeding, he's in pain, he's confused. He doesn't know what's going on, what's going to happen. Because, again, he didn't see it coming. And it says in verse 51, and speaking of Jesus, he touched his ear and healed him. So Jesus reaches down, he picks up the severed ear, he places it back on Malchus's head, and he restores his hearing because it says he healed him. So it's not only just putting the ear back in place. Imagine if he just put the ear back in place and it didn't work anymore. That's not a healing. <laughs> so the Bible is clear. It says that he healed him. So he can hear from this ear. Maybe he hears even better than he ever heard before. And so now Malchus can hear again. But guess what? It's different. <laughs> it's different. It now has the touch of Jesus Christ. And and Jesus is, is recorded... In, in other places in the gospel, saying to the crowds, if anyone who, any, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Did Malchus ever hear Jesus say that before? 
but didn't care to hear anything about what Jesus was talking about. Couldn't understand any of the things that Jesus was saying. Well, guess what? If he did, I would be willing to think that he probably recalled this to mind or the Lord recalled it to mind for him at some point. And so now Malchus can hear the voice of the Lord like never before. And Jesus talking to his disciples about those who would come to him. He says this in John chapter 10, verses 15 and 16. He says, as the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them I must also bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And I believe in this moment, Malchus was changed forever. I, I, I believe that we'll see Malchus in heaven. I mean, because how, how, could, how could you not? I mean, how could you not be there? He's standing in opposition to Jesus Christ, this one he's heard all these things about, all these things that he thinks are right, but they're wrong, that, that there's no love. And then one of his followers proves it, that, that, that thought, that there's no love with this, this, this Messiah, this one called Christ. And then one of his followers chops off his ear trying to kill him. But then... Jesus himself leans that, and the Bible doesn't record any speech in this moment. And I believe there's nothing, he didn't say anything to Malchus. I think that he reached down and it was just action. And that's what true love is. True love is an action. John writes in another place in his letter, he says, my little children, let us not, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And here is Jesus Christ acting out the love of God to this man, Malchus, in a way that he had never been reached out to before. And he encounters personally the love of Jesus Christ himself. And I believe that Jesus reached down and he places his ear back on his head and he looks him in the eyes. And Malchus, although there's still stuff going on, he locks eyes with him. And you know what? I, I, I have no evidence for this. This is just, this is just me. I can't, I, I imagine, I got to think that Malchus heard something. And what he heard was, I love you. And that's, that's what this world needs to hear. They need to hear it from Jesus himself. They need to hear him say to them, I love you. Right now, many of them can't hear that. And unfortunately, in many cases, it's because of the church. But you know what? Jesus is able to overcome that and he can still reach them. And he wants to do that. And he can do that for us, through us because he's done it for us. So talking about the love of God, we have to we, we've looked at what love is. We've looked at love in action. Well, now we've got to look in another direction. We need to look at ourselves. And so so the question that I, I, I pose and I pose it to myself because I know this this is what the Lord says to me, too. How's your love? How's your love, Christian? You, you who love the Lord, you who are believers, been born again, going to heaven, <laughs> love him, love his word. You know, how's your love? If we're going to be effective for being used to share the love of Christ with the lost, then we must first be sure that our love, our personal love for Jesus is right. It's got to be right. And so we should have a regular habit of examining our, our hearts before the Lord. And finding out if there needs to be any adjustments. And he'll tell us. <laughs> you know. <laughs> if you've been a believer any, any length of time, you know. <laughs> he has a nice way. It's, it's always, it's just always just so, so wonderful. It's, it, it can be firm, but it's never harsh. And he can point it out. And so it's important to remember that we need to look at the Lord. We need to look at him to rightly understand the state of our heart. Because as Jeremiah says in 
17.9, the heart's deceitful above all else. So we can't know our own hearts because our hearts can make us think, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm doing, I'm doing great. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? I need to go back and talk to that person. I didn't say anything that was out of line. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> You're right, Lord. I need to go back and say something to them. You know, God has to reveal to us our own hearts, the state of where it really is. And so, so then the question that we must ask ourselves is, am I loving the Lord? Am I loving the Lord in, in a way that's pleasing to him? You know, Revelation 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, has been referenced a number of times here lately in, in, this, in this church. And um, this is where, of course, Jesus is, has written his letter to the seven churches. And the first one up the bat is the, city, uh, the church of Ephesus. Um, and, and Jesus says to the church, you know, you've left your first love. And, um, you know, speaking of himself and, and it's not harsh. I mean, it's a warning. Um, but the idea is that Jesus is saying, look, there's something that's not right here. It needs to be corrected. But his motivation for making mention of it in the first place was love. (laughs) Jesus says, my love for you hasn't changed. Your love for me is a little off and we need to get that right. We need to get that fixed. And I'm telling you so that we can get that fixed. And so I believe this is no coincidence that this has come up a few times. I've had to, you know, think about it myself. And and I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is just reminding us of the vital need to examine ourselves and how we're doing with the Lord. And it, it just it's just a good practice as a, as a Christian. I don't know that it necessarily means that there's a rebuke associated with it. You know, I, I can't speak for the Lord, so I, I can't say that definitively. But I know that it should serve as a healthy reminder for us as a, as a body, but also for us as individuals, that we should pay attention and, and take deliberate care of our devotion to the Lord. And so if you love the Lord and you know him, then you also know that we're subject to fall short in our love for him at times. And and that's just the way that it is. And that's going to be the way that it is until we go home to be in heaven and we don't have this this dead flesh following us around, uh, you know, waking up, you know, seeing him in the mirror every time. I just can't get away from this dude. That's just like, man, there he is again. <laughs> but I mean, but that that's not going to that shouldn't stop us from continuing to look to the Lord, to love on him, and to just draw closer. God is never going to say, you know, you, you, I need some personal space here. You need to back up. You know, you're in my, you're in my zone right here. He's never going to say that. God is always encouraging us and willing to welcome us to draw closer to him. Because that's, that's love. love. He says, I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. And I want you to enjoy spending time with me. I want us to be close. And so... Um, so don't lose heart because of your shortcomings, because we all have them. <laughs> and um, we're probably a lot more aware of the ones that nobody else sees and the ones that we don't think that nobody sees. They're, they're all out in front of everybody else. And so God knows them all, and he loves us anyway. He knows that we're flawed, and he loves you anyway. He loves me too. And, and this is what First John 3.20 says. Um, to encourage us about God and, and him not being shaken by us falling short in our love for him. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. God knows. He knows that, that we want to love him greater and better. But you know what? We can't limited finite tanks. And so in ourselves, we can't do that. We have to rely upon his love for that. So, you know, I know for me, my love for the Lord is imperfect on its own. 
I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Ever since May 22nd, 2004, I have fallen in love with Jesus and it has not changed. But you know what? The times when my love for him is not where maybe it once was or where I wanted to be. And, and so if I try to love him the way that I think I should love him in the way that he should be loved, then I'm never going to satisfy that desire because I just don't have it. I don't have it. But I need to simply receive his love to remember how much he loves me and to trust that love that he has for me and just respond in faith. I know I'm loved by the Lord. He has given me all his exceeding great and precious promises, as Peter writes, and they are for me because I am his and he is mine. And that's the same for all of us as believers. So don't so don't come down on yourself when you, you don't feel like you're meeting that standard of love for the Lord that you want to hit. Because <laughs> there's coming a time when we won't even have to be, oh man, I can't even put it in words right now, but you know what I'm talking about. It's going to be there. We're not going to, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to have any of that one of these days, hopefully soon. So, um, so God's love perfects my love for him <laughs> because it's a higher love. His love is so powerful and so complete that he's able to take my love and to make it wonderful and beautiful before his throne. I can offer things to the Lord that he says, that is a wonderful, sweet smelling aroma. And I love that. And, and, you know, it's just, it's just what I have. And God says, that's enough. First John four nineteen says this, we love him because he first loved us by remembering the love that God has for us. It should, for the believer, it should, it should fill our hearts with love and praise for him. Because that's where it starts. It starts with him. So getting back to our text in 1 John chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 11. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So the Lord has to help us see if we're having a, a heart issue, as we were just kind of talking about before. You know, helping us gauge where we are in our, in our love meter. Uh, for him. And he's going to do that again by, by the Holy Spirit and through his word. But John, which is God's word, which he's written here, he gives us a big indicator of, of, of kind of figuring out where we are in our hearts and ultimately where we are with the Lord. Um, and so we have it stated here. He says, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another in John 13, 34. He says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And Jesus, he says, this is a commandment. So this is serious. This is not an option. We are supposed to love each other. It's, you know, we can have natural affinities for one another, some more than others. Some people just kind of click with. But again, love is an action. We saw love in action when Jesus healed the ear of Malchus. And we have love personified in Jesus Christ and is recorded for us on the pages of Scripture. We also see the love of the disciples in the book of Acts. That book is all about love. It's love in action. And, and so we are supposed to take action as well. And part of that action of, of loving is to be sharing that with one another. Love for the brethren meaning believers in Jesus Christ. And I like that word, brethren. I don't think we use it enough. I'm going to try to work it in conversations. Brethren and sister. I can't use brethren with the, with the ladies. Brethren and sister. So don't look at me too funny, but I still might say it. 
So love for the, for, the, for the believers is stated numerous times just in this letter that John writes uh, here. And we'll just take two of them. First John 3.10. John writes, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And he says this in 1 John 5, verses 1 and 2. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who was begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And so again, uh, the Lord gives us a commandment to love one another. And so uh, having love for one another amongst Christians is a big deal to God. Because the Bible tells us that we are the body of Christ. And so, therefore, we're members of one another. We're connected, believe it or not. You're not going to be able to dodge me in heaven. <laughs> you, may, you may kind of avoid walking down the hallway. Oh, there's that guy that talks a whole lot. But in heaven, I mean, we're, we're, we're one in Christ. And uh, we're one in Christ now. And um, so it's, it's a big thing, and it's important to God, and it should be important to us. Um, because, again, we're all connected in our common faith, and we all have the same Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And so our love for one another isn't on a simple, simply just on a natural plane. It's spiritual. And so it's a spiritual love. And so it's something that, again, is beyond us. And it doesn't come from us because, again, just like the love for God, we don't have it within us. It comes from him and he has to impart it. And so we can expect him to supply it. And in Romans chapter five, verse two, it says this. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You don't have to worry about whether or not you can love your brother or sister because God has given you the capacity to love your brother and sister by way of the Holy Spirit. He's not only given you the capacity to love one another, but he's given you the capacity to love God. And he's given you the capacity to love those who don't love God, those who don't love you. So when we hear Jesus say things like, you know, um, uh, you know, love your enemy, <laughs> pray for those who spitefully use you. You're like, well, how can I do that? Only by the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, his love, loving them through you, him putting that love in our hearts. I, I don't know about you, but I know me. There are times when God just puts an unbeliever on my heart and they just they just become endeared to me right now. Where I live, there's there's a person uh, I've, I've, I've met them. I, I only engaged them a couple of times and God has just put them on my heart. I just, I just love this person. Now, you know, I gotta be careful. I can't just go, you know, convey that. Just, man, I just love you like that. But, but, but what it's done is, is, is it's, it's made this person endear to me where I care about them. So I care about their soul. I care about their eternal state. So what does that do? It causes me to pray for them. It causes me to ask God for opportunities that I can get before them and share his love uh, in, by way of the gospel, that they may come to experience that love for themselves. And, um, and so God gives us this ability, this capacity to, to, to love others. And so one of the defining marks, again, of those who follow Jesus is our love for one another. Because in John thirteen thirty five, Jesus said this, speaking of the love, he said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the love of God carries with it the power of God, and it doesn't look like any other love on the planet. There is, there is no other love that uh, is like his that anyone can encounter um, here. It's, it's just his love is going to be different. And I'm a firm believer that when someone doesn't know the Lord, but they come in contact with his love, 
you know, in direct contact, and that's whether, you know, you're engaging someone or, or they just come in contact with God's love, they may be able to reject it. And, and many do. The, the Bible tells us that many will, that in, according to all human history and the people that have lived on the earth, those who choose to receive God's love and his grace and his forgiveness and salvation is going to be a small number. So most are going to reject his love. And God allows that because he's given man a free will. But even though there may be those that will reject his love, they can't deny it. When somebody is, when, when you're talking to somebody and you know God is getting to them, you can see it sometimes. It's tangible. It's on their face. You can sense it, that they, God is reaching out to them and you can see God working. And they still may end up walking away and never coming back. But they can't deny that. And it's going to come up when they stand before him. But hopefully, Lord willing, that's not going to be the case for many of those that God allows us to engage, that he puts us before. And so uh, to close, you know, as believers, we have this wonderful honor and this, this great responsibility. But it is truly a blessing to be the carriers of this love to this, this dying and decaying world that is starving for this love that doesn't even know it. And this love is higher than any other thing that they can experience and that they can uh, uh, they can have. And God wants them to have it. And so uh, it's important for us to stay in close contact, uh, have our, our devotion with him uh, in the right place to receive from him this love that, so that we can freely give it to them. And I'll close with this verse. Uh, this is John chapter 15, verse nine. Jesus speaking. He says, as the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Let's pray. Our Father, what a delight uh, it is to, uh, Lord, to just consider and to remember and to enjoy and to just dwell in the truth and the reality of the fact that you have set your love upon us. Not that there is anything special about us, but because you are special and that your desire, uh, your intense desire, Lord, is to love those uh, who, would, who would respond and receive that love. And it's, and it's open and available to anyone that would have it. And for those of us who are, are Christians, who are believers, Lord, thank you, Lord, that by your grace we have received this love. But, Lord, that's, that's not enough uh, because your love goes higher. And there's much more that we can have other than just personally experiencing the love of Jesus Christ. We can be the ones who can share this love with others. And so may you give us many opportunities. May we be active about seeking you for those opportunities. And may you point out when those opportunities arise that we can share the love of Jesus Christ with those, maybe even some Malchus who has been uh, hurt, but uh, Lord is, is ready to hear the things that you have to say to them in this love. We ask that you get us home safely now, Father, and may we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.